Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, Caitlin Geiler, Nathan Murphy, Emily Estep, Katie Wilmot, Madeline Turley, Adam Sams, Anthony S., Wizard Rodeo, TJ McMorrow, Shrub, Connor, and Autumn Harbor. We couldn't do this without you. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. This month, we've been sharing spooky photos and, as I record this, a battle over whether it's called soda, pop, or if everything is just called Coke is playing out in the Discord. If you have strong feelings about what to call caffeinated drinks, sign up for the Patreon, join the Discord, and set us straight. And this whole debate over whether it's called Coke or pop or soda came from planning out a virtual movie night, which we're really looking forward to with our patrons, so keep your eyes open for that. Patrons get access to bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. Sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. We want to take a moment and say thank you for an amazing first year of 13. Our first episode was released on March 13th, 2020, and for weeks ahead of release day, we were planning on spending that night out on the town celebrating, but we all know how those plans changed. Instead, we met up at our recording space downtown, where we looked out at an eerily quiet and dark city. Here's hoping for another great year of 13. It's really been such a fun ride making the show, and it's 100% thanks to you, our listeners. We know so many of you have told your friends about us, and we can't thank you enough. We've got a little announcement for you. You probably noticed that we've been asking for story submissions for quite some time. We've done that because we have an opportunity to work on a project that we've been sitting on for a long time. So, with the next few months lined up with some amazing story submissions, we have an opportunity to start work on our biggest and most ambitious project yet. While we're working on that, we'll still be narrating stories for you, and they'll be from authors that you'll recognize from the audio fiction world. Authors featured on No Sleep, Creepy, and other big-name audio fiction podcasts, honestly, it feels like we're punching above our weight. So there's a lot to look forward to. And we'll be back with stories written by myself, Bridget, and other members of the Imaginary Comma Pod crew later this year. But in the meantime, get excited for these amazing stories from amazing authors. One more thing. Check out Bridget over on a podcast called Apodlacha. It's Appalachia with pod in the middle. Over there, she talks about 13 and the really cool things she's doing to bring arts and culture to Eastern Kentucky. You can hear them wherever you listen to podcasts, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Tonight's episode is our first submission episode, and I want to introduce the authors you'll be hearing from. Our authors for tonight's story are Charlie Davenport, who you've heard on No Sleep and on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. And we're also excited to introduce Blair Riddle. So thank you for being patient through what is definitely our longest opening intro yet. And with that, on with the show. This is My Condition, by Charlie Davenport, narrated by me, Bridget Howard. 
My mother had loved my boyfriend when we'd met in grad school. Loved his manners, how clearly he thought the world of me. And loved that he was on the fast track to success in what promised to be a lucrative career and a respectable family. She was old-fashioned like that. It was the first time she'd liked any of my boyfriends, and it felt good not having to hide him from her. The fact that my mom loved him almost as much as I did probably made matters worse when, after we graduated, he was offered a job in another city, and I decided to go with him, 2,000 miles away. When we announced our plans to move to Los Angeles, her opinion of him fell. We'd always kept in touch at least once a day, a call, a text, a visit, but she didn't speak to me for a long time. I was beginning to worry that the silent treatment wouldn't end before we drove out of Ohio for the last time. She came around and warmed back up to me a couple weeks before the move. But after the move, she never came back around to my boyfriend, never forgave him for sweeping her little girl away all the way across the country. Once we got settled in, my daily phone calls with mom continued. They were even more important now than ever, and they were mostly pleasant, aside from the fact that she only referred to my boyfriend as that man. Like I said, she was old-fashioned, a Catholic school teacher before she retired. She knew how to lay on the guilt, and she worried. She worried a lot. Normal mom stuff, I guess, but it got a little out of control sometimes. She obsessed over earthquakes, brush fires, mudslides, and that eternal dryness. It was as close to her idea of a living hell as she could imagine. Part of her morning routine, right along with her cup of coffee and hard-boiled eggs, was to scan the internet for local news in L.A., for any source of potential danger to her one and only daughter. They're saying that man was drunk as a skunk when he plowed into the farmer's market. You know, they found that poor Hernandez girl right outside her job. There's a brush fire off Route 5. I'd go another way today. A dozen missing over the last two years alone, all around your age. The police have no idea who it could be. They had to identify this last one from her dental records. Yeah, it didn't help that there was an active serial killer in the city. When we got here, I looked for work in my field, and I didn't have much luck. The jobs were there, but I kept getting passed over. Of course, my boyfriend already had something lined up. That's why we moved. And we were doing okay, but I didn't want to coast on his salary. My mom was old-fashioned, but not me. As luck would have it, after a few months, my car broke down. In the one city where everyone knows you need a car. 
without any income. I didn't have the money for repairs. And I'll be damned if I was going to swallow all of my pride and ask my mom for help. But I swallowed a little bit of it and applied for a call center job at a health insurance company. I won't say which one, but for the sake of this story, let's call them Lyric Health. I took it because it was close to my apartment, and without a car, I needed something within walking distance. And walking to work was fine in the summer months. I liked it. If there's anything LA is known for, it's the weather. But as the days got shorter and nights got longer, my morning walks got darker. Even in the dark, most of the walk was fine. Our building was on a main road, and it was well lit, so I felt safe almost the entire way there. I liked the quiet mornings. I liked to be able to hear the quiet for a little bit before it was overtaken by the sounds of the city coming to life. But I couldn't shake the feeling that this job I'd taken a few months ago, this temporary thing while I looked for my dream job, was starting to feel a little too permanent. There was a little shortcut that I used to take, back when it was still light out on my walk to work. A little alley that cut two or three minutes off my walk. But now that it's dark in the morning, I go up past the alley to the next stoplight. Then, it's two right turns until I get to the employee entrance. The good thing about walking to work in L.A. is that it never rains. Almost never. In fact, the day I'm going to tell you about is the first time I'd walked in the rain since I've been here. When I stepped outside that morning, there were just a few sprinkles coming down. I probably could have gone back upstairs and changed into something more weather appropriate, but I didn't want to risk being late. And, of course, as soon as I was too far to turn back, the skies opened up and the rain started pouring. I ducked under the awning of a little shop on the main road, and I waited out the worst of it. While I stood there, I noticed the missing person flyer hanging from the window. It was one of the girls that my mom talked about on her phone calls. The ones that are about my age, all new in town, all of them missing or dead. Suspected victims of the same person. I hope they catch the son of a bitch before anyone else gets hurt. Once the downpour tapered off to a steady rain, I was on my way again. My supervisor wouldn't be happy that I was late, but he knew that I walked to work. He tried to give me a ride home at least once a week. He treated me differently than the other employees at the call center. He was kind of an asshole to everyone else, but he was always understanding and patient with me. And that made me think that he had more in mind than just a friendly ride home from the office. And 
even after I managed to casually mention my boyfriend a few times. Every week, he offered. And every week, I passed. So I was thinking about how all my coworkers would see me coming in. And they'd see the way he treated me with kid gloves instead of reprimanding me. Every woman has had a creepy boss. A supervisor that made them feel uncomfortable. He was mine. So that's where my head was when I came up on my old shortcut. With the rain falling and the clock ticking, I pulled my coat up and took a right-hand turn down the alley. I scanned my surroundings. I didn't notice any signs of life. Not anyone hiding behind a dumpster or around the corner. But I did see another missing person flyer. It caught my eye from across the alley. This one for a different girl. It hadn't been there when I used to take this cut through a few months ago. She must have gone missing in the meantime. A quick look at the date on the flyer confirmed it. Only two weeks ago. The last time I was here, she'd still been alive. I shook the thought from my mind as I came out on the other side of the block and turned left. A few more steps and then right through the double doors into the call center. My hair was wet and my clothes were drenched. It was going to be a long day. I clocked in and made my way to my station, keeping my head down and trying to avoid my boss's attention. We sat at desk, organized in rows, in a building that must have been a warehouse at one time. There were no cubicle walls, just a small divide between each workspace. And if you're not careful, it's easy to bump elbows with the people sitting on either side of you. If we were allowed to talk to each other, I'm sure I'd be fast friends with a lot of my coworkers. But there's no talking on the floor. Customer service, even in the best of circumstances, isn't easy. There are always the entitled, the dismissive, and the enraged to deal with. On top of that, our customers were people dealing with the healthcare system. And that means, at the end of the day, you can easily find yourself needing anywhere from two to ten drinks after your shift. That day, about two hours into my shift, I had a caller begging me to explain to her why we no longer covered the medicine that had been mitigating her father's Alzheimer's. She told me that they were helping, but since he'd been off the meds, he thinks she's his mother. After that call, I told my supervisor that I was heading out for a smoke break, 
despite never having picked up the habit. I spent the next 15 minutes in the alley behind our building, my head between my legs, fighting back tears, trying to compose myself. Even though I hated this part of the job, it was a steady paycheck that kept us in our apartment. I thought that was going to be my most difficult call that day, but I was wrong. Thank you for calling Lyric Health. This is Patty. How can I assist you today? The person on the other end of the line let out a slow, labored breath, and I just knew that I was in for it. Hi, Patty. I've been on a medicine for the last year, Salutamex. But today, I went to the pharmacy, same one I've been going to for the last six years. They're telling me it'll be $550. It's always been a $15 prescription. I just can't afford that, and I need those pills, Patty. Here we go. I asked her for her name and her member ID. Most callers need a minute to dig their card from their wallets, but she just rattled off her full name and card number. At least she'd been prepared. There was something strange, though. I'm not the fastest typer, and I wasn't ready for her to start so quickly. Ordinarily, I would need her to repeat it for me if I missed the beginning, but I don't know. It's like I could feel the information sinking in. I hit enter and the next screen popped up. Can you just confirm your phone number and billing address for me, please? She did, and I noticed that we had the same zip code. Yeah, I think we live a couple of blocks apart. I should have noticed it then, but I was spaced out and I was letting the muscle memory of data entry take control. I asked the caller again how I could help her. Why isn't Lyric covering my medication anymore? A quick search revealed that her medication had an equivalent that was cheaper. This must have just come online and was now the company's preference over the patented version. I breathed a sigh of relief. Letting a customer know that there are options usually sets their minds at ease and resolves the issue. Maybe this wouldn't be such a bad call after all. I told her that her plan was going to cover another medication and that it would actually be less than what she had been paying for. Yeah, I'm aware. That stuff is for schizophrenia, Patty. And I don't have schizophrenia. I don't have anxiety, PTSD, or delusions of grandeur. Okay. Never mind about this being an easy call. I searched through the reference materials on the company system. The customer was right, but... Look, I know what you're thinking. Both of the drugs are for schizophrenia. I know that. 
But the way they affect the receptors in the brain are different. The chemical composition is different. What if the generic doesn't do what I need it to do? I told her that I understood her concern. And yes, sometimes there's a ramp-up period for new medications. She should consult her pharmacist for more information on her specific situation. You're not listening, Patty. Here it comes. This happens a few times a day, and I'm pretty uniquely prepared for it. My dad was in the army, and mom... Well, I've already told you about my mom. I'd had abusive boyfriends in high school and in college. I've been yelled at, talked down to, patronized, mansplained, and disrespected. I've had people yell until their throats were raw and spit was hitting me in the face. So, while I still didn't like it, I was uniquely prepared for belligerent customers. Something about this customer was different. She barely raised her voice, but there was something menacing in her tone that made my blood run cold. None of these other medications work, Patty. They don't work because I'm not schizophrenic. I understand why my doctor would think that. I went to her because I hear voices and I know how that sounds, but it isn't what you think. I'm sorry, but if you're having an episode, you should hang up and call 911. I could feel her breath rattle in my headset. I looked around the room for my manager, the one that offered me rides home from time to time. I hated having to call on him for help. I hated not being able to handle the job myself. But... As I've learned a few times since moving to L.A., sometimes you have to just swallow your pride. He was halfway across the room patrolling the workstations, and I raised my arm to get his attention. He was wearing that stupid bow tie again. I caught his attention, and he started making his way to me. But... Before he could reach me, in my headset, my customer said something she couldn't possibly know, and she said it with a newfound calm and resolve that I hadn't heard from her yet. She said that if I put that asshole with the bow tie on the line, we're going to have real problems. I sat there with what must have looked like a dumbfounded expression as my manager approached. Hey, what's going on? I just looked at him for a moment. Did you need something from me? My caller spoke up again. Is he going to offer to take you home? Don't go getting in cars with strange men, Patty. There's someone out there killing girls just like you. My manager was standing at my desk, with all the weight of his middle management resting on his narrow shoulders. And I sat stunned. 
staring straight at my supervisor's bow tie. How could she possibly know what my manager was wearing? How could she know that he had a thing for me and tried to give me rides home from work? What she said next both floored me and made me go numb. She just started unloading. You live in a shitty second-floor apartment with your boyfriend. You hate that little prick of a man standing in front of you. You need to get rid of him so that we can keep having this nice little chat. I snapped out of my haze, made an apologetic face, and told him it was nothing. He gave me one last chance to tell him what was going on. Then he turned and walked away. In my headset, the caller continued on. Do you know why I need those pills, Patty? I need those pills because they let me sleep. They let me stand outside without wanting to run away from the world. They let me sit still. I tried to interject, but then something hit me like a freight train. And I felt and heard intrusive thoughts coming from somewhere outside myself, but worming their way into my mind. Howard Yerman likes the taste of gunmetal. The thought was whole and complete in my mind. Do you even know who Howard Yerman is, Patty? He's the one directly in front of you, slouches all the time, looks like the only exercise he gets is the walk to the vending machine. I looked up and saw the guy that had been sitting in front of me for the past six months. His shoulders were slung so low they practically touched the desk. Every day that man worries about how he's going to cover his son's tuition. Some nights he gets the gun from his closet and just sits there holding it in his mouth for a little while, imagining what it would feel like to pull the trigger. I know that, and now, so do you. That's how I live, Patty, and I need you to help me. I felt sick from the experience. I hadn't even known his name before that. I was about to speak up when it happened again. Another one of those intrusive thoughts. Thought isn't the right word. It was like a memory of something I experienced myself, even though I didn't. The office manager who always seemed so outgoing and kind, she can't stand other people. Preferred her cats to any person she'd ever met. She hated that she'd ever tried cocaine and everything that led to. Hated that it had taken her husband from her. Hated that even now, after all this time, she still wasn't convinced she'd never give in to it again. As it flooded my mind and body, I felt the lingering edge of her addiction, a need I'd never known before. That's the thing, Patty. 
I know that kind of detail about everyone in a five-block radius. What Salutamex is doing for me is a side effect. Something unintended. I've just been off it for one day, and let me tell you, Patty, I can already feel it again. I was trying to hold it together and not make a scene in the call center. What do you want me to do? I want you to approve my prescription. I can't do that. I felt it again. Tanya Bowen, she sat to my left. Despite what she said in the break room, Tanya had never taken a boxing class. It was just the first thing that came to her mind when she had to explain the bruises. My left eye felt swollen and puffy. The man to my right, he'd made it through five DUI checkpoints this year and would probably make it through a dozen before the end of the year. I could feel the pounding in my head and the burn of a nasty hangover in my throat. The caller was still talking into my earpiece, but I barely heard her. I was lost in a swirl of sensation. I felt a thousand things at once, drunk, bruised, twitching for a fix, and a slow, crushing depression pinned me to my chair. She'd never stopped speaking, but her voice came back into focus. She told me that she can make all of this my problem, all the time. Every unearned, unwarranted experience in the world, all at once. But she doesn't want to do that. She just wants me to help her make her brain quiet again. She finally came to a stop. I composed myself. And in the most earnest voice, I told her that I was sorry. There's no way I can do what she's asking. If she can read minds, whatever you'd call this, she should know that I'm telling the truth. There's nothing I can do. There was silence on the other end of the line. Then there was heavy breathing. She was crying. Help me, Patty. If I could, I promise you, I would. The company doesn't cover Salutamex anymore. I'm so sorry. Maybe you could give this new one a try. Maybe it'll do exactly what you need it to do. You can try a new doctor, a new insurance company. I'm sorry, but I promise you, Lyric will say no every time. I realized just then that I was crying. I don't know how to explain what I was feeling. My caller had done something to me. She'd made me see things that weren't mine to see and feel things that weren't mine to feel. She threatened me and disrespected me, 
but I recognize something in her too. That desperation, I'd felt that before. And I hated that I couldn't help her. We sat on the line in silence for a minute. I noticed my coworkers noticing me. They could see the tears on my cheeks, silently sobbing. And then, just as innocuously as it began, she ended the call. Goodbye, Patty. The whole office was looking at me. Calls were going unanswered. I had everyone's attention. My boss, the one I'd summoned and then sent away earlier, he came striding over, gesturing to everyone else to focus on the calls streaming into their headsets. What was that all about? He seemed genuinely concerned. For a moment, I actually considered telling him everything. But instead, I just told him it was an angry customer. A medication issue. Just a rough day. I'll be fine. His face softened. He reached out to me, placing a comforting hand on my shoulder. If she calls back, just put her straight through to me. I felt like the entire office was watching. Seeing that hand on my shoulder, that's how people start talking. He gave me one of those smiles you give to someone who you feel pity for. And then he turned and walked away. When I began this story, I told you that I would never go back to that job. And I bet you're thinking that it's because of that call. Because someone infiltrated my mind like that. And, on its own, that would be enough. But there was something else. Whatever she had done to me, Whatever she did that made me see things that weren't mine to see and feel things that weren't mine to feel. Whatever that was, it must have still been activated when my manager touched my shoulder. And when he did, I felt absolutely nothing. But what I saw... What I saw terrified me to my core. I saw him playing a game he plays. A game where he follows. He waits. He watches. That day, when I got the most disturbing call of my short customer service career, that would be my last day in the call center. As soon as my manager was out of sight, I got up, walked out of the call center, and I ran home. I called my boyfriend and I told him that I needed him to come there now. 
I couldn't explain it to him. Not really. I tried, but of course, he just couldn't believe it. I don't blame him, but this is why I love him so much. He trusted me. He saw that I couldn't stay here. We stayed in a hotel for the next few days until we'd found a new place. When my manager put his hand on my shoulder, I saw myself. I saw myself through his windshield, his car creeping behind me as I walked home, speeding up and passing me only to wait in a parking lot for me to walk by. Sitting outside our building, watching our closed blinds, learning our routines, studying me, learning the most reliable times to find me alone. And it was those couple of hours, right after work, until my boyfriend got home at 6.30 or 7, right when I'd need a ride home. I saw him do it a dozen times before, back to when he was in college. I saw him waiting in parking garages, on park benches. I saw him creep along behind other girls, just like he'd been doing to me. And I saw one of them turn around as he approached her. It was the girl on the poster, the one in the alleyway outside the call center, the one I'd seen on that rainy morning. Some nights, when it's quiet and still, I can still tune in to whatever that caller had done to me. I can press my back up against my boyfriend so that he'll put his arms around me. And I can feel what he's feeling. And I can tell what he's thinking. Sometimes, I don't like what I hear. And I want to curse that caller for what she did to me. But then I remember something she said. And I can't stay mad at her. After all, it was probably only a matter of time until I had a bad day and decided, fuck it, and took my manager up on that ride home. But in the middle of her desperation, she stopped for just a moment to help me, to protect me. Don't go getting into cars with strange men. There's someone out there killing girls just like you.
This is Heart Attack Hill, written by Blair Riddle, narrated by Ian Epperson. I was out for my daily run, early in the morning, when I'd be most likely to have the trail to myself. I came around a bend in the trail that I'd come to know very well, because that bend marked the beginning of a long, steep incline, a part of the trail that I called Heart Attack Hill. I thought back to how much I struggled to climb it those first few weeks, and how now it had become my favorite part of the run. When I came around this bend, something clicked inside of me, a determination that I was going to conquer this hill. It was like night and day from my first few weeks, and I was proud of the progress I'd made. I had a breakup, and I hadn't taken it well. But when I was finished feeling sorry for myself, I resolved to do things differently going forward. I'd made a promise to be better to myself, to do things that got me out of my comfort zone, Things like starting to run, like tackling this hill. It made it easier to move past the bad stuff. When I rounded that bend, the one that marked the beginning of the incline up Heart Attack Hill, the trail became rough. The roots of trees came up through the dirt, and if you weren't careful, you could trip. I'd skin my knees and caught my foot more than once in the early days of tackling this trail. But now I felt like a pro. I could measure my paces to avoid the roots without even looking. It was like any other morning, until I heard the crying. It seemed to be coming from off the trail, up ahead and to the right. It was a quiet sort of cry. A sniffling, gasping-for-breath kind. Not loud sobbing or wailing. My ears perked up. It's not something you expect to hear on a running trail. I came to a stop to listen more closely. It sounded like a child. And a crying child out here? It was 7.30 in the morning, and I was deep into the trail... Nowhere near the public areas where kids might be playing. I tracked the direction of the sound. Yeah, it was coming from the trees up ahead, and just off the trail. I wasn't the sort of person to ignore a crying child. My ex would have said that it was none of our business. What if we decided to take that child to safety, and their parents were just up ahead, just around the bend looking for them? and we walked them back to the parking lot, only separating them further. It's funny how a little time and distance can illuminate a lot about a person. My ex would have said that I was too compassionate, and we should tell them to stay put and go along with our business. My ex wasn't a good person. I moved toward the source of the whimpering, behind a pair of tightly growing trees. As my eyes focused, I could see a shape there. A person. Hello? I called. The crying quieted for a moment. And then, 
A timid voice responded. Hello? It was a little girl. I stepped off the path and slowly approached her. I was about ten feet away when I spoke up again. Hey, are you okay? Are you hurt? There was movement, rustling in the underbrush as the girl came into view. She was young. I'm not sure how old. I'm not good at judging kids' ages. Her jeans were dirty like she'd fallen or had been crawling around. Her hair was pulled back into a loose ponytail, frizzing up. Her hair tie was doing its best to free itself from the mess. Her face was dirt-stained and puffy. Her nose was red. She sniffled, trying to collect herself as she spoke. I'm okay. Her voice was shaky. I'm not hurt, but I can't find my grandpa. I glanced up and down the path. I hadn't seen anyone else out this morning. There were only a handful of cars in the parking lot when I arrived. She must have wandered pretty far from where she started. This path was one of the least traveled, most secluded, and difficult. There weren't a lot of kids or dogs on this path, and that's why it's one of my favorites. Kids and dogs slow you down on the trail. Especially dogs. I always stop to say hi to dogs. So I chose this trail to avoid distractions. So why would this little girl end up all the way out here? Do you know where you last saw your grandpa? She nodded and her eyes started wandering, the way kids sometimes do when they're trying to remember. She told me they came here this morning to go fishing while it was still dark outside. There was a lake in the center of the park and I saw people fishing there all the time. They must have gotten separated before dawn. I pictured an older man, his arms full of fishing equipment, and a little girl wandering away just for a moment. It could happen so easily. I told her my name and asked for hers. She said her name was Kelly. I asked for her grandfather's name, and she said it was Bruce. Perfect. So now all we needed to do was go toward the lake and find a park ranger and have them call out looking for Bruce. I would have tried to call him, but Kelly didn't know her grandfather's phone number. So we started walking, following the trail on in the direction I was already going. Kelly grabbed my hand to keep her balance as she struggled to trudge up Heart Attack Hill. Her hand felt strange in mine, and something happened when she did that. I felt a protective instinct. I needed to make sure she was safe. We walked in silence for a bit, continuing up Heart Attack Hill. At the top, it leveled off for a moment before starting down the other side, toward the more populated part of the park. Just then, I thought I heard something else. Another voice. I strained to hear. It was definitely a voice, but I couldn't make out the words. 
I asked Kelly if that sounded like her grandfather. She scrunched up her face and tried to concentrate. Maybe, she said. It's hard to tell. I was just about to call out to whoever it was. But just then, the voice fell off in the distance and disappeared. Like it was moving away and fast. Maybe there were some weird acoustics out here. As familiar as I was with this path, I'd never tried to call out to someone. Then I heard the voice coming from another direction, back toward the more secluded part of the trail. I had an uneasy feeling, but I couldn't place it. That was impossible, unless the sound was echoing. And if that was the case, there was no way to know which direction to go. I asked Kelly if she knew which way she'd come from. She didn't. All she could tell me was that she was hungry. I cursed myself for not having any snacks on me, but I offered her some of my water. I was starting to feel anxious as we walked on. Something was off about all this. I heard the voice again from back up Heart Attack Hill, back toward the more secluded part of the park. I didn't like this at all. I told Kelly we were going to keep on in the same direction we'd been going. We should be converging with other paths soon. There was a ranger station back at the center of the park. We weren't far from help. That's where we were going. I tried to make conversation to lighten the mood. I checked my watch. I asked if she and her grandfather came here often. She shrugged, listing off all the places they visited together. The park, the beach, camping. Sometimes they would go to the mall or even amusement parks. That sounds like a lot of fun, I told her. Kelly agreed. He's the best grandpa. He's all I've got now. I didn't want to ask what she meant by that. But I imagined it meant that her parents had either passed away or were out of the picture. I checked my watch again. We should have reached the other trails by now. Maybe I just wasn't used to how slow children walk. I still recognized our surroundings, but I felt like even at our slower pace, we should have been further along. And I couldn't shake that uneasy feeling. I heard that voice again, coming back into range. And this time, I could hear what it was saying. It was calling out for Kelly. My heart swelled as Kelly's face lit up and she called back. We'd found him. This was finally over. And I'd done something good. I thought about something I used to say a long time ago before I became a more cynical person. Something I wanted to believe again. Good things came to those who put good into the world. I was going to grow back into the person I wanted to be. I called out, telling him to come toward the sound of my voice. I could hear him getting closer. He should be in view any moment. 
but he wasn't. He called out again and asked if I could see him. I couldn't. Why don't we come to you? I shouted and started in his direction. I let go of Kelly's hand so that we could navigate the dense forest. I'd forgotten that I'd been holding it this whole time. I told her to watch out for roots so she doesn't trip and to watch out for thorns so she doesn't get cut up. Kelly nodded, her little face twisted in concentration. But, for a moment, I thought I saw something else on her face. Something like glee. I assumed that it was because we were so close to reuniting her with her grandfather. But there was something else there. Something my rational mind told me to disregard, but that my intuition couldn't ignore. I didn't like this. I was being lured off the path. Just as I was about to come to my senses and turn back, I saw movement. Something in the middle of my field of vision. A man stood, leaning against a tree, with a smug look and a nonchalant demeanor. He said, I've been waiting here the whole time. I stopped dead in my tracks. The man by the tree, he was all wrong. He was a little too tall for his proportions, and his arms hung too low. His fingers, his fingers had way too many joints. This wasn't a human being. I froze. I tried not to move. My hand clamped down on Kelly's shoulder, and I whispered, loud enough for her to hear me without bending down to her level. That's not your grandfather. We watched each other for a moment longer, and then, in one motion, it started rushing toward us. The impulse that was keeping me frozen snapped. I scooped Kelly up and we ran. We weren't far from the more populated parts of the park. We just had to keep moving. We just had to get to other people. Someone would be able to help. We could make it. Even carrying Kelly, we should reach the other trails any moment. We had to be getting close. I struggled to run with the added weight of a child in my arms. When I felt my strength about to give way, I looked behind us, and he was nowhere to be found. I came to a stop to catch my breath. I put Kelly down and bent over, hands on my waist. As I was bent over, I saw Kelly's hands, and my blood went cold. I realized why it had felt so strange when she held my hand before. I counted the knuckles on her fingers. One, two, 
three, four, five. I straightened up and looked her in the eye. Her smile. It was just a little bit too wide. I hope we find Grandpa again soon. I'm hungry, she said. I tried backing away, but she just took this as a cue to start walking alongside me again. With each step, it seemed like she grew a few inches. Within moments, she was eye level with me. That too wide smile, but with eyes that still looked lost and afraid. I just needed to get back to the parking lot, back to the more populated part of the park. I felt something cold on my cheek. I didn't even realize that I'd started crying. Any minute now, I should hear voices. Voices of actual people. Someone who could help. And just then, from somewhere behind me, I heard a sharp rustling in the underbrush and a quick thudding of footsteps, closing the distance and fast. The next thing I knew I was coming to on the shore of the lake. There was a dog sniffing at me, and I could hear Kelly and her grandfather nearby. The lake was empty, no one around. That was impossible. This part of the park was busy all day, every day. I could hear them talking just a few feet away. I turned slowly not wanting to let on that I was awake. They were both holding fishing rods, a full-size one for Grandfather and a child-size one for Kelly. I took in my surroundings. This was definitely the lake in the park. I couldn't explain it. Why were we alone? What were these creatures? And what did they want with me? I closed my eyes. Someone would come by. They had to. Any minute. Any minute. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you've heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode included My Condition by Charlie Davenport. Narrated by Bridget Howard, the caller was Liz Walker, and the supervisor was Ian Epperson. It also included Heart Attack Hill, written by Blair Riddle, narrated by Ian Epperson. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker, Music by Caleb Ritchie, with assistance from Brooke Jeanette. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, and Autumn Harbor. Thanks for your support. 
Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, and behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of Pod13 or 13Pod. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes, too. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes. Bridget Howard wants to give you a ride home. Thanks for listening. See you next month. Mm-hmm.